Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. You're listening to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Kristen LePianca, and I'm super excited to be here today with Jess Montgomery. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're, we're glad to welcome a historical fiction author onto the podcast. You are our first oh. historical fiction <laughs> author, so congrats. Thank I don't you. know what I don't know what you win, but, you know, <laughs> we'll just go with it. First. The, yeah the reward enough exactly <laughs> <laughs> okay so um jess is the author of most recently the stills which is part of the kinship ohio mystery series um which is fantastic um and jess is also the literary life columnist for the dayton daily news and she writes a writer's digest magazine column level up your writing life based on early chapters of the first in the kinship series the widows Jess was awarded an Ohio Arts Council Individual Artist Grant for Literary Arts and named the John E. Nance Writer-in-Residence at Thurber House in Columbus, which is nearby and neighborly to me. I love the Thurber House. Uh, Jess lives here in Ohio. So um, tell us about the, the Kinship series. Oh, I'd, I'd be glad to. So the first novel in the series is called The Widows and it introduces, as I think you mentioned, um, Lily Ross, who becomes sheriff of her county in the course of, of the novel. And the series is inspired by Ohio's true first female sheriff, a woman named Maud Collins, um, who became sheriff in 1925 in Ohio when her husband was killed in the line of duty. There was no mystery about how he died. Uh, there were plenty of witnesses to see that a person he was serving um, an arrest warrant too for, of all things, a traffic violation didn't want to be served that traffic violation and sort of killed him right there in front of witnesses and in the middle of the street. So, um, yeah, very tragic. Uh, Maud took over his position um, thinking, you know, it would be temporary. She was asked by the county commissioners to do so. And she had worked uh, as the, the jail matron, so she was familiar with, with the laws of the county and, and how that process worked. Um, but she ended up being elected um, as sheriff in her own right in 1926 and went on to a lifetime career in law enforcement in various roles. 
So I was quite fascinated by her when I discovered her. And as I said, she's the inspiration for Lily Ross. I would like to note that there have since Maud been only three female sheriffs in the state of Ohio. There have been deputy oh, sheriffs wow. and yeah, and police huh. officers, of course, and probably some chiefs of police. But um, the next sheriff was in 1976, the next female sheriff in the state of Ohio. And then in the year um, 2000, and then we got our fourth one in the Cincinnati area in uh, 2020. So very wow. unusual, yeah, to have uh, a female sheriff in the state of Ohio. And um, that's kind of what kicked off the series for me. I have to admit, I would never have thought to myself, it makes sense to me that there would be a female sheriff in Appalachia portion of Ohio in 1925. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would never have thought that that would be like something that was realistic, but it absolutely. is. That's, but but it is. And so yeah. that, that fascination kind of pulled me into the series. And now we're three published books in. As you said, the most recent is called The Stills. Awesome. And I, I really like your books because although um, they are set, you know, nearly 100 years in the past, you have a lot of feminist themes happening, um, which is nearby and neighborly to this podcast. Yes. Um, so, so like, let's talk a little bit about um, Lily's character and, you know, who she is and what she, what she represents to her community, to her family, and so on. Okay. So Lily um, wouldn't, I mean, I don't, I don't know that, anyone necessarily would have used the term feminist 100 years ago. Certainly my character Lily would not have described herself as a feminist, um, but, but she is. She wants to, um, one of the struggles she goes through in the second book in the series is she realizes, well, in the first book in, in The Widow, she takes the role because she wants to figure out what happened to her husband. By the second book, she realizes, wait, I really like this job. And she has some survivor's guilt because she also realizes she would never have gotten the job if her husband hadn't died in the line of duty and she still mourns him. And by the time we get to the third book, uh, The Stills, she's fully embraced um, her desire to be sheriff. And she's very driven by wanting to protect um, her community and her family. And yet there is this tension between she is not fulfilling a usual role <laughs> by <laughs> any stretch of the imagination. Um, even now, I think, you know, it's, you know, I have a, I have a, a daughter who, you know, is in an unconventional, if you will, um, uh, career. And, you know, people always assume if I happen to mention her career first, uh, that I'm, I'm talking about a son. And when I explain, no, I'm talking about a daughter, they look a little like surprised. So, you know, we're still fighting <laughs> the good feminist fight these days. Right. Yes. <laughs> very I, much so. <laughs> very much so. But I feel comfortable um, having uh, a character a hundred years ago and in a rural area having those same notions of hey wait i can do this too for one thing you know women had just won the right to vote uh, a few years before the start of of when my novels are set so it you know it wasn't like nobody has ever had a feminist thought <laughs> back right, then right. there was definitely a strong history of, of feminism and one of the things i say about you know my dad who um was born in like 1924, uh, and so he's younger than my characters, but he, you know, he grew up in a Appalachian area of 
Kentucky, very much a good old boy, but he was very much a feminist. He would not have liked that term, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he was. And so was my grandfather, actually, who, you know, made sure that his daughter, my great, my aunt, was going to go to high school and then college. And, you know, this is a man Mm -hmm. who was a farmer in eastern Kentucky, a tobacco farmer, who had maybe gone through third grade. So I just think these ideas that we think of as, you know, super modern, um, you know, they have evolved and that's a good thing. But at the same time, people back in time also had those notions. They might've used different terminology, might be confused by how we describe them. Um, But yeah, definitely I would say Lily is a feminist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would say so. So in in the stills, when the book opens, like it's it's Thanksgiving in um, Bronwyn County and Lily is just, you know, getting ready for a big family dinner with her large extended family. And sort of meanwhile, we have um, a second narrator who joins the story, and that is uh, Fiona, mm-hmm. who I think is a very interesting counterpoint to Lily. Mm-hmm. Um, Fiona is um, the the wife of a ne'er-do-well businessman type, <laughs> uh, and she lives in Cincinnati, so she's not she's not she doesn't live in kinship though she grew up there is that right right Um, she's from the area yeah so she's back in town and uh she has brought some trouble with her you want to tell us a little bit about that oh yes I have to say first off I love Fiona (laughs) (laughs) I loved writing Fiona uh Fiona really evolved in my imagination and you're right, she started out, she's, she's briefly mentioned as the wife of a deputy sheriff in The Widows. And she really just sort of emerged in the first book in The Widows as a minor character, but one who kind of represented uh, the female uh, view of the time and sort of the more conventional view of, wait, I think she even says to Lily, why, why are you doing this? Leave this work to the men, Lily. So mm-hmm. she's, she's very much got that conventional view of, you know, there's, there's work for women and there's work for women, men, and we have our roles and let's stick to them. And then by the hollows, uh, she's, she too is widowed and she tries to figure out, you know, how is she going to, and again, a, mer- a minor character just briefly mentioned in the second book, how is she going to make the, her way in the world uh, without a husband, without a job skills and she's got a son and so she takes up with George Vogel who yes he is definitely a ne'er-do-well uh, <laughs> businessman <laughs> he's a gangster actually yes <laughs> he's a bootlegging gangster uh, and he's actually inspired too by um, a, a real-life uh, gangster so you know I had I had fun with that and when I got to the third book um, and I should say each book is narrated by Lily and one other person from the kinship the town of Kinship or Bronwyn County. Um, By the time I got to the third book, I thought, you know, the first book, Lily shared narration with um, a woman who had been her her husband's friend, um, and they end up becoming friends, a woman named Marvina. And in the second book, Lily shares narration with her own childhood friend. And so I thought, oh, it is time to bring in somebody who is not a friend. (laughs) And someone who has a very different view of the world, um, at least on the surface, than Lily. So yeah, Fiona is all about um, playing the long game. She's manipulative. 
Uh, she ends up married to George, this gangster, because she thinks she'll find a way to get what she wants through him. Money, power, um, protection. And so, yeah, so they come at this story from very different points of view in a way. Um, as you said, Fiona has come with her ne'er-do-well gangster husband, and they're going to try to set up shop in Bronwyn County as a way to run alcohol for um, nefarious purposes and defy, defy the law of the land, prohibition. Um, and Lily is all about the rule of law, whereas Fiona is all about Fiona. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to, to a certain degree. But if you start thinking, once you've read the novel and you start thinking about them, they're actually motivated by the same thing. They both really want to protect their families, their children yes. in particular. And so I really um, loved both of them coming at that same you know, motivation, that same problem, but with very different ways um, and coming into conflict with each other. So. Yeah, I love that. Um, and in in the books, like Lily is, a, she's a very likable character for the reader. There are certainly characters in the book who don't like her because she is the sheriff and she wants to curtail their naughty deeds. Um, <laughs> but Fiona is, she's like a bit more, she's a bit of a prickly character. Mm-hmm. And I love that about her. Have you had any comments about her so-called likability Oh, uh, yeah. From readers or editors <laughs> or anything? <laughs> well, my editor was fine and mm-hmm. really liked the character for the same reasons I've just outlined. My agent the same way. And many readers have actually liked her. But it has been interesting to hear from uh, several readers or at book groups, um, and, and so far only women saying this, that, well, wait a minute, couldn't she have been softer? Couldn't she have <laughs> been nicer? Why didn't she just report her husband to the police? Why didn't she work with Lily? Mm-hmm. And of course, that would be a totally different character, right? So right. I very much, you know, wanted to write Fiona as she hadn't been set up that way. Like I said, she's only in a, a scene or two in the first two books, but um, she wasn't set up as particularly soft or people pleasing, you know. Mm-hmm. And right. I really. And, and, and what I say to, to readers that protest about Fiona, why isn't she nicer, is, wait a minute, would, would you say that if Fiona were thin? If Fiona were <laughs> a male character, you probably wouldn't have that response. Right. Um, you would think, wow, isn't he clever and feisty and so forth? Uh, and yet we have that response about female characters who, who are manipulative, as if, you know, the goal above all else is to be kind and likable and I I didn't want that I wanted her goal to be above all else uh that she wants to protect her children and herself yeah it would have been she would have been a very different character if she had been nice and soft and it would have been a very different story too it would not have been nearly as interesting would it no I mean (laughs) difficult people are like the most interesting kind to read about so yeah yeah Yeah, and it was kind of delicious to get in her I mean I'm more like Lily you know, I am a, a little <laughs> bit of a people pleaser. I don't know that I'm likable to everybody, but I try to be, you know, fairly nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I really liked getting in to Fiona's head and thinking, well, what if I cast all that aside? What if I decided to get what I want? Uh, I, you know, used people or I 
lied or I, you know, she doesn't out and out lie. She's too smart for that. She, she shaves the truth or presents the truth from a certain point of view, shall we say. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was just really kind of delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun to write these types of characters. Like when they're behaving badly, like it's so much fun. In, in my series, um, my protagonist, Roxanne Weary, has a on-again, off-again love interest, Catherine, who is just like she's so much fun to write because she's awful and people are always like oh I hate her so much and I'm like I know but she's like interesting like she's a horrible person and I would hate to encounter her in the world but I love her as a character and like we all know people who are like this like it some people are just like bad and manipulative and that doesn't you know when when you describe someone as unlikable because they're not nice enough or you know polite enough or or they're selfish or, or difficult or whatever, like that doesn't mean they're not interesting. And right. I think that, you know, some of some of the most interesting characters there are would fall under unlikable. And so I think, you know, people react in a funny way of like, why like why isn't she nicer? I don't like her. And it's like, well, maybe you weren't supposed to like her, but you wanted to see what she was going to do next. And, you know, that's our job as writers to make you wanna see what happens next not to write a world full of extremely polite, well-mannered women. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, we kind of know, right, uh, with, with Lily or, I mean, not, not every fictional sheriff, but with Lily, we kind of know how she's going to react to things. You know, we know that she's, she's going to try to follow the rule of law. She's going to try to do, you know, make decisions that are, that are what's best for her community. <clears throat> so it's interesting to have a character who, you know, said, I'm not so much. I'm not so worried about community in the broader sense. I'm, I'm worried about my immediate community, my, my children. And right. um, <clears throat> it, you also mentioned that, that Fiona is from the small town of the county seat of Kinship uh, in the area, and she is. But unlike Lily, um, Fiona, Fiona has always wanted to kind of get away from there. She doesn't want to stay there and help her community. She wants to be out in the broader world and, you know, a, a bigger city life. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, she's kind of hampered by the choices that she has to make that happen, both from her childhood and her economic level and, and whatnot. So she's, she's done the best she can to make that happen. But she's not all about the community or the rule of law. <laughs> and... Um, is more than happy to, you know, upend all that in order to, to, you know, meet her goals. Right. And so you had mentioned how in the first book, she actually has a conversation with Lily about, you know, there's a role for women and a role for men and being a mm -hmm. sheriff is not a role for women. So even though um, Fiona obviously is a believer in those types of roles, she still wants like more for herself than you know us being a small town housewife like she she is ambitious too it's just a different kind of ambition it is a different kind of ambition and I think you know and she changes that's been that was one of the fun things about writing her is that after she you know she tried to settle for the small town life um you know be the be the wife of one of the deputies who happens to also run a shoe repair shop um which would be a lovely life for many many people but um she I think felt very constrained by it and then realized, you know, she had a lot of financial issues to deal with after her husband died. And what was she going to do with herself? 
And she starts out, you know, she's got this plan at the beginning of the stills of, of how she's going to manipulate George and then quickly realizes he's not going to be, she's not going to just use her quote unquote feminine wiles and bat her eyes. She's going to have to, she's going to have to come up with, you know, plans and twists and turns that are twistier and turnier than, <laughs> <laughs> than he is. And he is a right. big time criminal. So she has to, you know, kind of up her game. And not only that, she has to make decisions along the way about how far are you willing to go? Like, right. you know, how much do you really want this for yourself? Um, and she makes some interesting decisions. You know? Yeah, she does. Yes. So given that you are our very first uh, historical fiction author, I, I wanted to kind of talk about like the idea of likability and also like what is expected of female characters in historical novel novels versus contemporary novels. Because I think one thing that we encounter a lot is like people use the term unlikable to describe a lot of different characteristics. Like sometimes people say a character is unlikable because she comes across as a bitch, but sometimes they say it because she's like pushy or demanding or aggressive. She doesn't conform in a certain way. Like the idea of like a woman who is just kind of unruly often gets labeled with the term unlikable. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, that's not very fair, certainly, because we don't, we don't call men unlikable in the same way at all. Like, you know, men who are assholes are just being themselves. They're not, you know, <laughs> they're not unlikable. But right. this is, you know, something right. that, that female characters get saddled with constantly. So <clears throat> I guess, like, what do you think about, like, how that comes into play a um, hundred years ago versus now? Well, it's, that's an interesting question uh, because actually I find myself cringing a little bit every now and then with Lily, who is likable, but will also, you know, she'll play dumb mm -hmm. um, or, you know, she, she'll know the answer before the man in the room does, but, right. you know, quietly waits for him to come up with the answer in order to, you know, she's very conscious of that she's in this this job that's really unlikely for a woman um, and that she she can't overstep her role too much. So there's this there's a scene in an earlier novel where <laughs> uh, her mother who lives with her now and, and helps her with her her children and um, a much younger little brother um, reminds Lily, you know, you're still expected to submit a pie for the county fair, <laughs> even if you're sheriff and busy. <laughs> um, and it one and it becomes this symbolic thing. Like for one thing, I love to bake pie, so that's why I made her a pie baker because then that way I can throw in pies <laughs> every now <laughs> and then. But you know, in the beginning of the series, uh, Lily has won all these these blue ribbons at the county fair for her wonderful pies, and she's very proud of that. And as by the time we get to the stills, she's still got the ribbons. But they're kind of at the bottom of a of a of a bowl where which is where she you know puts her sheriff's badge when she comes home at night on top of those um, mm -hmm. blue ribbons which you know is kind of my symbolism of of how she's changed so she you know she will use her um, the expectations of her as a female that in a way 
that I would find really, I would never write with a contemporary character. I would never have a contemporary character, you know, doing the emotional equivalent of batting her eyelashes to, <laughs> <laughs> to you know, look acceptable or, oh, let the man do it. But, you know, she's very aware that she, you know, needs to, needs to do that. And every now and then, and I do, you know, let her feel a little cringy about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's been interesting, yeah. And I think, I don't know, the other side of that is I love writing her, even though she's in this, again, you know, the first of only four female sheriffs in the state of Ohio, this unusual job, because I, I think sometimes we look back and we just assume that women, uh, you know, d didn't have, you know, that it was really weird or unusual to have notions of, you know, feminism or, or, you know, other things that we sort of accept more readily now. We look back and we think, you know, women were very, you know, corseted and stuck in their roles and they never fought back. And I don't, I don't think that's true. I think we underestimate, you know, the feminism and the rebellion, even if you want to call it that, of, of women that came before us. Right, right. I still think, think about my mother-in-law who, um, in some ways was a very conventional woman, but um, was kind of a feminist too in her, her own right. She, she would talk about when she was in college, and this would have been, I guess, in the 50s. Uh, let's see. Yeah, early 50s. She played basketball, hmm. but uh, women were expected to play half-court basketball because you might have a sink and spell, you know, and keel right over if God right. forbid you ran the entire court back and forth. Right. And she would every now, you know, like when our daughters would do various sports, she would tell them the story over and over. And I finally realized what she was kind of doing. She'd pull them aside and she'd say, you know, me and the other girls, we'd sneak in after hours to the gym and we'd play full court basketball. <laughs> And we were perfectly fine. So right. she was kind of like feeding them the story of, it's okay that, you know, you got to be aware of what you can and can't get away with, I guess. But at the same time, it's okay to push those boundaries. <laughs> yes, that's very true. I love that. I love that anecdote so much. <clears throat> I think it's interesting that like in, in the course of 100 years, there have only been three other um, female sheriffs in the state. Mm -hmm. um, because like if, if someone said like, hey, there have been four female sheriffs in the state of Ohio in the course of history, you want to guess what years? Like, you would never have guessed back to 1920s. Like, right. would, you would never have done that. Um, and I think that, like, it, part of the ways that the world has changed, it has, you know, there are more opportunities, but there are also less because, like, things are, because things are more established now, um, it can be harder to break in to kind of an unusual job, just, you know, sort of how like, you know, in 50 years ago, you could get a job without a college degree and just, you know, change, change industries altogether. And now it's like, you know, you need a master's degree to get an interview somewhere. Exactly. Uh, so I think that like some of the, some of the things that are improvements definitely to society are also like limiting because, when you know Lily or the the real life inspiration behind her Maud became sheriff, uh, it wasn't like, oh, she fought her way into you know she she fought her way in and 
battled through the ranks to get here. Like she, she got there through a very unusual way, mm-hmm. but because of that unusual way, she was able to do something really groundbreaking. Whereas now, like when a woman becomes sheriff, it's because she has fought through the ranks of law enforcement for probably decades, Yeah, uh, which is very different. So it's yeah. sort of like there are now there are certainly more female police officers than there would have been in the 1920s, but there's also like more difficulty in getting those opportunities to, to line up for you, I guess. Yeah. And in different sort of ways that you have to prove yourself. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to still, you know, keep observing that um, just even in small little ways um, in life. Like our, our, our older daughter, um, I will confess, she, she took ballet and when she was little and mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that's fabulous. She's really good at this. And then she said, but I really, I want to try Taekwondo this summer. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I will admit, I thought, oh, no. Um, and, but I thought, okay, fine, I guess. And my husband actually said, no, if she wants to try it, we'll sign her up. And um, she ended up being really pretty good at that, too. She, you know, stuck to it long enough to eventually get a black belt. Mm. Um, so, you know, she enjoyed Taekwondo a, a lot. And I remember, though, we went to some tournament, and it was really hard to find other girls to compete against. Um, so sometimes she'd have to compete, you know, against boys. And then when she'd win (laughs) the, uh, the, the, uh, hopefully this still isn't true, but the trophies had little boys on them. Oh God. (laughs) And she was like, so frustrated at age like eight or nine, like, Oh, why can't I get a girl trophy? Yeah. (laughs) I found some leftover, like purple yarn from, (laughs) from some stupid craft project. And I made her little wigs to stick on her trophy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she wanted that. I she wanted that trophy, but she, you know, she identifies as female, and she wanted her little trophy to reflect that. And so it's just fascinating to me that here we are. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah, it's like things have changed so much, but also not at all in, in yes. the same breath. It's like it's very strange. <laughs> Well, and that's kind of been some of my surprise in in hearing, like I said, not not every reader. Um, there are plenty who champion Fiona, but some who are just really startled by, but we want Fiona to be likable and do the right thing. I'm like, right. do you want George to do the right thing? That would be boring. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, like the, the, the mystery genre is absolutely chock full of of fascinating male characters who do the wrong thing and no one is mad about that. That's right. Nobody's like, they're, they're like more please. That's interesting. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and here on this podcast, we're very big advocates of women behaving as badly as they need or want to behave. Yes. Um, for sure. It's cause it's like, there's nothing interesting about being nice and doing what you're supposed to do. Like that's not a story. And yeah. when you think about storytelling, um, in any, any genre, but specifically in crime fiction, like that conflict between people and the, the explosive way that it can grow, like that doesn't happen if people are just constantly like giving in and being polite. And, you know, this happens when like, you know, the, the, the classic an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, like mm-hmm. there's going to be sparks flying and that doesn't happen when people are well-behaved and, and nice and, um, that wouldn't make for very interesting books at all. No, not at all. 
<laughs> yeah, but I think women should get to have some of the fun. You know, female characters should have some of the fun of creating all that chaos. So Yes, for sure. For sure. I really like how you balance the two women um, because, like, I think, like, I, I want the female characters of the world to be able to 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 do whatever they want and need to do um but like because people sometimes have that reaction of like oh this is unlikable or oh she's she's mean or she's conniving or twisted or evil or whatever like um I think that having like strong women who are like Lily to balance that kind of like shuts up that argument because it's like mm-hmm. well you know what here we have both women can be anything that's right <laughs> I think that's really that's really important um I think that in my series I think that my protagonist is generally pretty likable for the reader although sometimes frustrating because she makes poor life choices um but definitely people in the stories find her to be unlikable because she is um standing in the way between them and their payday or you know, they're getting away with it. And um, so I really like to, you know, I have her as kind of the anchor of the stories. And there are plenty of devious women who come in and out because it's like, I like to have that balance of here is, here is someone who is strong and interesting and, you know, ultimately intrinsically a good person. And then here's a woman who is strong and interesting and bad. And what's going to happen when we kind of like pit them against each other. I think that, that there's a lot of interesting storytelling that can be done around that kind of thing. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and you know, Strong is, is an important characteristic to me. I've also had a few folks say, well, do you purposefully choose to write uh, strong, uh, strong female characters? And my answer is always, why would I write anything else? I don't know how right. to write, you know, a, a wimpy female character <laughs> but, I mean certainly not as a protagonist maybe as right. maybe as you know a side character or or victim or whatever I actually in the second book in my series uh Hildy who shares narration with Lily and Hildy is um Lily's best child friend from childhood uh, she starts out pretty you know she's very much you know conventional people pleaser um not particularly strong, but grows into her strength. And I just, I think strong people in general um, and strong women uh, in particular are, are just, are interesting. I, I don't have a whole lot of interest of writing, you know, characters or reading characters who keel over easily and rely <laughs> on other people to save right. them. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, I think the the word, like the, the idea of strong female characters sometimes on on Twitter, there'll be like a little kerfuffle of discourse about using this term. Like some people mm-hmm. are, are like, you know, it, saying that sort of implies that all women aren't strong or whatever. And it's like, we have, there are so many examples in literature, a lot of it written by men, but not all of like women characters that just aren't compelling and strong. So it's like right. absolute nonsense to act like there's not a differentiation between, you know, complicated complex strong intelligent female characters and just the the types of of characters that fill many many books on the shelves many books that I like even Mm -hmm. don't have well-drawn female characters and that's just a fact right (laughs) you know like detective fiction from its early days which I really like can be very difficult to read as a feminist 
because yes. it's just like ugh. But it's like you know <laughs> you you like the grittiness and like the 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 way the genre kind of formed itself and and came to be and like I love that. But you have to really read those stories with like you know kind of a side eye because yeah. <laughs> the women in those stories are not like examples of like, Oh, these are great female characters. They're definitely not. They're like plot devices and they're just, you know, yep. scenery. Um, yes. Which is really frustrating. Well, yeah. And I think Fiona realizes, I like that word scenery that really <laughs> that's kind of what she's expected to be um, by her gangster husband, George um, mm-hmm. is, you know, is scenery. She's because, and she kind of starts out that way. She's compliant and she's pretty and, um, and then she quickly realizes this isn't going to get her where she wants to go. And uh, this isn't going to take care of her children. Right. Um, so she, you know, yeah, I like that. She makes she makes the leap from scenery to, uh, you know, a strong, powerful woman who some people may not like. But, you know, whatever. We don't yeah. have to be liked by everybody in the world, do we? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. If you are, you're definitely doing something wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> that is absolutely right. If everybody likes you, then and you haven't made at least a few people mad at you because of something you've stood up for that's right, then yep. reconsider. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're working on next? Sure. The next book uh, in the series, um, which is just now in copy editing, is called The Echoes. And that will be out March 29th of next year. And we leap forward um, in time to 1928. So these books are paced one, one year apart in, in story time. And the narrator, of course, is Lily, but also her mother. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it was, I thought it would be fun to have that generational tension um, and explore Mama's point of view uh, about you know, what she thinks of Lily, what she thinks of herself, what she thinks of the world. And they both end up dealing, it's called the echoes because they're dealing with some ramifications from their family's past that kind of come out to play uh, in, in the present time of the story. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, especially as, you know, uh, the mother of adult daughters. Lily is mm. about the same age, actually, as my two adult daughters. Oh, <laughs> so. <laughs> And I've always kind of seen myself in, in Lily's role, but I thought, you know, it'd be kind of fun to, um, to re, you know, shake that up a little bit and see how I, how I feel about her from the mama's point of view. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh, that should be some interesting perspective on, on both of their characters. Yeah, I hope so. Nice. Uh, and before we go, I want to give you a chance to shout out your podcast, because you have joined, you have recently joined the the, the club of of people who podcast. So I tell have. us about that. I have. So my podcast is called Tea with Jeff, chatting with authors and artists, and uh, it's one of those things that yet again, I you know, if you'd said to me a couple years ago, you're going to do a podcast, I'd have said, oh no, I'm not. But <laughs> uh, but then COVID happened. Right. And we were encouraged to find ways to connect with our readers, you know, virtually, since we couldn't do our usual bookstores or book clubs or what have you. So I decided to do some uh, Facebook live chats, just, you know, me talking about my writing process or whatever. And then I quickly realized I know a lot of writers and some artists and maybe maybe people would like to hear from them. 
Um, so I started, you know, having them on for interviews, and then and then realized from there. Actually, a, another writer friend, Jessica Strasser, pointed out to me, "You've got the material for a podcast, and that's just another way to reach more people and lift up the artists and authors that you're interviewing um, to a new audience." So that's where Tea with Jess um, comes from, and of course, the title Tea with Jess is because in the series. Uh, a secondary character named Nana often will say, life is hard, have tea. And so <laughs> certainly during COVID, life was very hard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> have tea. Uh, so that's why it became Tea with Jess. And um, my goal really with it is to have fun. I really do like to interview other people. Um, and to kind of, the theme, I guess, is looking at how these different folks became authors and artists and to provide sort of encouragement for anybody who's listening to explore their own creativity um, or just a behind the scenes look at you know what the life of an artist or author really is is all about but I I think everybody has creativity in them and should explore that in some form or fashion so I'm hoping that's what um, listeners get out of out of my podcast some encouragement of you know yes go forth and explore your creativity. I love that. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Um, Once again, my guest here is Jess Montgomery, author of The Stills, which is out now from Minotaur. And um, I look forward to getting my hands on The Echoes next year. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.